references in Proverbs to start out Proverbs 4 and Proverbs 16. Ecclesiastes 8, Proverbs 4, Proverbs 16. We're going to go right to Proverbs 4 and 16 at the beginning, but we're going to try to do Ecclesiastes 8 and a good chunk of chapter 9. Let's pray. Lord, as we just come to you now, we are thankful for the time to be here tonight. You teach, we listen, just to let this be a little bit of an oasis, a little bit of a break during your crazy week to come and just be refreshed and encouraged. We do pray you'd raise up the right helpers in the back, not only for CBC, but also for the nursery, the toddler back there as well. Thank you for those people that you will lead. And we do give you Cindy as well too, and all others that were mentioned as well, your hand to health to be upon them in your name. Amen. All right, if you haven't been with us through our book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a very interesting book in the Bible. It is written by a man by the name of Solomon, and he's writing this from an interesting perspective. He's writing this from almost what we would call a backslidden perspective. He, he believes in God. He's not an atheist. He believes that God exists, but his relationship with the Lord is not where it should be. He's walking in a lot of discouragement. Dare I say he's walking in a lot of depression. And so moments he gets it. It's like a little bit of light coming through the clouds, followed by moments of why am I even alive? He has verses in here, he says, where it's better to be dead than to be alive, that he doesn't even wish he was born. He's full of that much just discouragement and depression, etc. Now, the first half of the book is pretty dark. We take a little bit of a turn here as we get closer to the end, and you see a little bit more truth coming out. And that's what we're going to see. Now, he still has some moments. We're going to get to that tonight. But what you see here happening is this is a man, imagine, in the darkest time of your life where you're thinking through things, and you're like, why am I even here? Why do I even exist? What is the point of all this? And this is what's being recorded as we go through it. I hope you're encouraged by this. You're going to see some repetition of some words. One word is vanity. That's what the New King James says. Some translations call it useless or meaningless. Is this life even worth living? And another word or phrase you're going to see is called under the sun, where he keeps talking about everything that's going on under the sun, meaning here on earth. Basically, just eat, drink, and be merry because that's all that we have in life. Remember, this is the wisdom of a person who knows the truth, but is not walking where he should be. So with that being said, we're going to pick it up here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Look at verse 1. Who is like a wise man? Who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his faith is changed. Please note the words there of wisdom and wise. I want to remind you of just a couple of verses with this. I ask you to go to Proverbs 4 and Proverbs 16. Proverbs was also written by Solomon. And please note some of the words that he uses here about wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 5. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And all you're getting, get understanding. Please note in Proverbs 16, same book. Chapter 16, verse 16. The same thought. How much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The biblical definition of wisdom is this. Wisdom is knowing what the Lord wants you to do. This is not book knowledge. This is not common sense. This is what am I supposed to do from a biblical standpoint. What does God want of me? If you go ask 100 people, you're going to get 100 opinions. It doesn't matter what they think. What's the Lord think? If you're going to give counsel, if you're going to give guidance, if you're going to give direction, always go back to what the Bible says. You're here tonight because you want to learn more about the Bible. Amen. First things first is get wisdom. What is the biblical way that God wants us to live our life? Then let's take it and then go live it. So with that being said, we understand this mindset. Now he changes topics a little bit here. Verse 2. 
It's going to mention the king. Remember, he is the king. He is the most successful king that Israel ever had. Wisdom unmatched. Wealth unmatched. Plus, also remember, 700 wives, 300 concubines. He had a lot of problems and issues as well, too. What does he say about the king? Verse 2. I say, keep the king's commandment. For the sake of your oath to God, do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever he pleases him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. Who may say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. Now there's just some practical knowledge there. When you're living under this king, you do what he says. But I want you to stop for a second and just take those few verses and think about our king, the idea of king being Jesus Christ taking what he said there about a king, and I want you to take the practical and now make it spiritual for a second. I wrote down six things that he said to do, and I want you to think about this in your relationship with Jesus Christ. First thing that you see here, verse 3, do not be hasty to go from his presence. Stay close to the king. Stay close to Christ. Remember Peter, when Jesus was about to go to the cross, the Bible says that Peter followed Jesus, but he followed him at what, the Bible says? A distance. If you ever follow Jesus at a distance, you're going to run into problems. You want to be as close to Christ as you possibly can. Close to Christ as it possibly can. You want to hold on to him. You want to be near him. When you start going out on your own and thinking that you can live life and figure it out, you're going to run into problems. So just as Solomon said, stay close to the king, stay close to Jesus. What else do we see here going on? Same thing, verse 3. Do not take a stand. You're stand for an evil thing. Don't stand for evil. God is the epitome of good. But how often do we allow things into our life that are evil? I've shared this example with you many times before. People come to me and they say, I don't know what I should do. And I always ask them, what do you think you should do? And they always say, well, this is what I think I should do. 90% of the time, they know what they're supposed to do. We can tell good from evil. We can tell good from evil. Even today at our house, one of of my boys came in. Uh, I believe it was Kenan, our third boy, comes in. He said, Dad, Tyrus, the youngest, who's five, he said he took a cracker and he smashed it all over the counter. I said, Tyrus took a cracker and smashed all the counter. He goes, yeah. I said, tell Tyrus to come in here. Tyrus comes in. He says, yeah. I said, Tyrus, did you take a cracker and smash it all over the counter? He goes, no. He goes, Layden did it, which is kid number four. Okay, can you bring Layden in? This is how I spend my day. Layden, can you come in? Layden, did you take a cracker and smash it all over the counter? He goes, no, Tyrus did it. Okay, so now can I have Tyrus and Layden come in? So Tyrus and Layden are in. Tyrus, did you take a cracker and smash it all over the counter? I might have. <laughs> now think back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sin. And so what does God do? He comes to Adam and says, what have you done? And Adam's response is, the woman you gave me. First thing he did was pass blame. Now, Tyrus is five. He does not have a, life, a lot of life experience. But he already knows how to be evil. Sin. It's there. Do not take your stand for an evil thing. Be careful where you plant your feet. Plant your feet on what is good, what is holy, what is just. Now, what are you supposed to do with the king? Take a look at verse 3. Do whatever pleases him. Whatever he does, does whatever pleases him. I want to do whatever pleases the king. This makes the king happy, then I want to do it. Let's keep it really simple in life. Lord, you want me to do it, then I want to do it. Verse 4, I want to respect his power. I get to serve the creator of the universe. Number 4, he's sovereign. Who may say to him, what are you doing? Who can go question the king? I need to trust and understand God's sovereignty. Sovereignty is just a fancy word that means that he is all-powerful. 
So when something happens in my life that I do not like, Lord, I trust you in this. The Bible says you are good and do good. The Bible says you work for the good in all things. The Bible says that you have good plans for my life. I may not see it. I may not understand it. I may not grasp it. But I respect that, Lord, because you are sovereign and I am not. And I like verse 5. He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. If you do what he asks you to do, he keeps you safe. In my years of walking with the Lord, my years of walking in this world, I've come to the conclusion the Bible's just right. If the Bible has called that action wrong, guess what? If I do that action, it causes harm and hurt. If the Bible says this action is good, and if I do that action, guess what? It goes better. It is that simple. So if I do what is good, amen. If I do what is bad, there's going to be results. And what does the king say right here? Keep his commands. So I want to keep the commands of what Jesus Christ has to say. That's simple. That's straightforward. Now, he changes tone here a little bit. But So before we get to that, does anybody have any quick questions, comments of anything that we said here at the beginning? Underline the basics of wisdom and understanding following the king who Jesus Christ is. John. That's a good question. It's also kind of a touchy thing because with Proverbs, he also says he's repeating a lot of what his dad says. So it kind of goes both ways there. Um, I think for me, and the only way I can answer that question for me is when I read Proverbs, he's trying to constantly do this underlining thought for 31 chapters, just understand wisdom. And this is what I would say, is once you get wisdom, the obedience should hopefully follow. Because if, if we can train obedience, I, I've used this example before, I can make my five boys be the, be the most obedient children you have ever seen. I just need to walk behind, whisper in their ear, and threaten them. And I can threaten them, and they will be obedient. But I want them to be obedient because they choose to be obedient through hopefully the wisdom of the Lord. And I guess that's what I would say at Proverbs is trying to say, is let's train them to be wise and hopefully they make good choices. So, anybody else have anything here before we go on? Okay, Kathy, what's a husband-wife duo? Yes. Hmm? Did I have the wisdom? Kathy brings up a good point. It did not so much work for Solomon. In some ways, I would say it did work a little bit because when wisdom doesn't mean you're not going to make poor choices because I'm still a sinner. But when he made the poor choices, he realized they were poor choices. Sometimes what I see is people making poor choices, and it's like they are so numb to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's like, do you not see your life going downhill right in front of your eyes? You're going to lose your marriage. You're going to lose your kids. You're going to lose everything you have because of the choices that you're making. At least in Ecclesiastes, I see himself saying, the boat is tipping, water's coming in, this isn't working. So I agree with what you're saying, because you would hope that he would make better choices... But he at least caught himself in some ways. So, and we're leaning now, 3,000 years later, reading these books, saying, okay, we could still glean from this wisdom. But I agree with what you're saying. For being so smart, you should have made some better choices. Yeah, somewhere between one and a thousand. Um, I, I just I was just reading in uh, Kings today that he built himself a palace. Then he built himself a palace for uh, Pharaoh's daughter, one of his wives. And so when he started out, it, it reminds me a little bit of the guy that finally got a good job. And he finally, for the first time in his life, has money. And so all his friends just hang around him. It's like, I'll buy the drinks. I'll buy this. I'll buy that. Solomon had whatever he wanted. 
And, and, you know, maybe going back to what Kathy's saying here as I'm kind of thinking through this, maybe it's also supposed to show us, too, even with this wisdom that we have, the lure and the danger and the temptations that the world can throw at us. Because David, I mean, look at King David. This guy is amazing. I just got done reading First and Second Samuel. King David is, is constantly seeking the Lord. King David is constantly trying to, to give God the glory. But even this wonderful man who is after God's own heart, he ends up having an affair with Bathsheba, killing Uriah and trying to hide it. What happened there? What happened is even godly people make stupid choices. And that's the beauty of grace as well. And, you know, David, man after God's own heart, amen. Solomon made some bad choices. There's no doubt about that. But he was at least wise enough to write this through the Spirit to say, learn from this, I hope. Learn from it. Some of you here tonight have made some really stupid choices, and I'm not picking on you. God love you, but you're here. You want to learn. You want to grow. And maybe you want to stop and tell the generation following you, listen. Listen. This did not work for me. Wisdom. Get it. I'm trying to make different changes in my life here to hopefully be different. All right. He changes themes a little bit. You're going to see this now at the end of verse 5. A wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. Now, this is a theme we've had before. Time and judgment. He's always thinking about death. That judgment is coming. He only has so much time on this earth. Please note in the Bible, anytime you see the same theme repeated right away again, God's trying to get a point to you. Verse 5, discerning time and judgment. And look at verse 6. Because for every matter, there is time and judgment. Same wording again. Though the misery of a man increases greatly. So what he's saying is this. As the misery goes up, Verse 7, for he does not know what will happen, so who can tell him when it will occur? As your misery goes up, your questions go up. Catch in verse 6, misery of a man increases greatly. Then verse 7, I don't even know what's going to happen. The people that have the most questions about life, when I say questions about life, I'm saying, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? What's the point of all this? Are usually pretty miserable people. Those people walking in the faith of the Lord aren't really questioning their eternal existence because they know what the Lord has called them to do. This guy, his misery is going up and his questions are going up. So verse 8, he starts thinking about death and he comes to this conclusion. I can't skip death. Verse 8, no one has the power of the spirit to retain the spirit. No one has the power in the day of death. There's no release from that war. And wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. He has everything. Remember, we talked about this at the beginning of Ecclesiastes. This guy literally had everything. Anything you could think of from an earthly pursuit or pleasure, this man had. And the only thing you can think about is, I can't beat death. Verse 9. All this I have seen and applied my heart to every work that is done under the sun. See, under the sun, he's got his mind back on the earth, not up on heaven. There's a time in which one man rules over another man to his own earth. So he says in verse 8, the only thing I think about is death. I can't beat death. In verse 9, only thing I see is people hurting each other. This is the world I live in. We're all going to die and we're all going to hurt each other. So now he's starting to go downhill a little bit. Verse 10. I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness. And they were forgotten in the city which they had done so. This is also vanity. So I saw these wicked people, verse 10, that went to, quote-unquote, church, the place of holiness, but they're just wicked. They're hypocrites. They died. They were buried. This is meaningless and useless. What's the point of going to the temple? What's the point of going to church? 
All these wicked people are going there and they're just going to die and pretend to be holy. Now he's kind of just going through all this. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. If you didn't catch verse 11, he's saying is this, because you're not judged immediately, we think we can get away with it. If you're a note taker, write this down. 2 Peter 3.9, amazing verse, 2 Peter 3.9. God is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering towards us, or patient towards us, not willing that any man should perish, that all should come to repentance. The reason the Lord lets you and me and everybody else get away with stuff for a while is because God says, I love you, and I want you to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So what happens is this. God could judge a lot quicker. Can you imagine if the first time we sinned, judgment just happened like that? We wouldn't make it past 18 months. Can you imagine if every time you sinned, he wouldn't kill you, he'd just strike you down flat? You would never be able to walk. What Solomon is saying is, the problem is this, the reason, verse 10, these wicked people go to the place of holiness, and they just keep on faking it, that is, keep on pretending, is because verse 11, they're not judged immediately. Now, this is from the thought of a man who's struggling and, and backslidden. When I read verse 11, I say, yeah, amen, God's patient with us. Some of you got saved very early at a young age, amen. Some of you got saved at, at 20, at 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. Aren't you glad God had patience with you? That's the grace of the Lord. Not willing that any should perish. It's a beautiful concept. Verse 12, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are a shadow, because he does not fear God. See, verses 12 and 13, he says, okay, listen, I keep sinning, but you know what? Verse 12, I know that if I'm right with God, it will be right for me in eternity. See, he, he, he has moments of where he gets it. And isn't this kind of explained to you and I a lot? There's moments where it's like, Lord, I, I could go conquer that hill, and I could spread the gospel, and I could see everybody getting saved. And then there's moments of, Lord, why do we even do this? We go in these in and out, up and down, and Solomon is doing this sometimes. And so right now he's saying, listen, God's grace Sometimes makes us do evil things because we don't get judged right away. But I do know this. Those who fear God will do well. Verse 14. There is a vanity. There is something meaningless and useless which also occurs on earth. There are just men to whom it happens according to the work of the wicked. Again, there are wicked men to whom it happens according to the work of the righteous. I said this is also vanity. He says verse 14 is so true. Basically summarize it this way. Why do bad things happen to good people? He goes, why does the righteous man get the punishment of the wicked, but the wicked man gets the blessings of the righteous? You know somebody who's wicked. You know somebody who is constantly turning down the Lord. You know somebody who is just an awful person. Why are they still living? Because you serve a God of grace and mercy that is trying to get this person's attention. Some of the most evil people I've ever known are in their 80s. Because, and if you're in your 80s tonight, I'm not talking about you, but I'm just saying, God's grace. And I've seen people that were godly people taken at a very, very young age. But you know what? I'm not sovereign. And you've got to remember what the Bible says. 
Psalm 116, precious in the eyes of God is the death of one of his saints. So therefore, when somebody is taken from a young age, now the problem is this, I determined at a young age. I determined that they did not have enough life to live. God said, nah, just your day's done, just come home. You get to go home from work early. If you would go into work tomorrow, and 15 minutes into your shift, the boss says, go home. And I'm still going to pay you for the rest of the day. None of you would argue. You would say thank you, and you'd be out that door before he could change his mind. When we see a young person go to heaven early, Lord, why? They're already being rewarded. They're already being rewarded here. So he does this. He's come to this conclusion in verse 15 on. And remember, this is the conclusion of a man who has thought it all through, can't figure out life, can't figure out death, says it's not fair that the wicked get blessed, the righteous get punished. Why even go to the temple? Because it's just evil there. So he decides this, verse 15. So I commended enjoyment because a man has nothing better under the sun. Remember, phrase under the sun. He's thinking from an earthly perspective. Than to eat, drink, and be merry. For this will remain with him in his labor all the days of his life, which God gives him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though no one sleeps, excuse me, one sleeps no day or night, then I saw all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. His conclusion is this, I can't figure it out, so I'm just going to go eat, drink, and be merry. Boy, doesn't that sound like the world? I want to talk to you about eternity. I want to talk to you about heaven and hell. I want to talk to you about that you are going to live forever somewhere. Yeah, I can't figure that stuff out. I don't know. I'm just going to go have another beer with the boys. That's what Solomon's saying. This stuff's too deep. This is, I I can't figure this out. I'm the wisest person ever lived. I can't figure it out. So the only way I can sum it up is to eat, drink, and be merry. See, that's the problem. We're not thinking past the here and now. We're not thinking towards eternity. We're only thinking of now. And guess what? Eat, drink, and be merry gives me pleasure now. It makes me feel good now. Why would I want to invest in something for eternity? The problem is your life right now, the Bible says you get about 70 years, is really just a drop in the ocean. Eternity is so big. Eternity is your eternal reward So Solomon throwing his hands up in the air and saying, I can't figure it out. I might as well just have fun down here. That's the fleshly response of a man that doesn't want to deal with eternity and to deal with the Lord. Now, before we get into chapter 9, any quick questions, comments here over anything with chapter 8? Megan. Why do wicked people have more benefits than the righteous? I would answer your question by saying, where are we looking? If we're looking on this earth, sometimes it looks like the wicked people have more benefits than the righteous. If I'm looking towards eternity in heaven versus hell, there is no comparison on the benefits that we have. So, is that that what you were kind of saying? Mm Mm-hmm. Why do they have it better? Yeah, they do. Right. And no matter how hard we try, we have nothing. But, I mean... No matter how hard we try, we have nothing. See, there's some interesting points here. Let me say a couple things to that. First off, the Bible makes it clear that my citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. So this is not my home. 
The Bible also tells me that I'm a sojourner, I'm a traveler, so this is not my home. The Bible tells me in Jesus, in the Gospels, he says, do not invest in things on this earth, invest in heaven. Because if you invest in things on this earth, he says, this is where the rust will destroy it, the moth will eat it. So from your perspective, I agree with what you're saying. There are many non-believers on this earth that have it a whole lot better than me. But I'm putting all my pennies into heaven. And so all my rewards, all my focus is on that eternal reward. So therefore, when I get to heaven, that's what I'm investing in. I'm not investing on this world to get more toys and to get more things. I'm investing in this world to see souls get saved for the Lord. And Jesus actually said those who lose their life on this world will gain it in eternity. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? Chris? That's, that's a great point. And if you think about how the Bible describes that peace, it's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And the Bible also says that there's a love that surpasses all understanding. So when you understand that and you stop and you say, okay, Lord, that rest you give me, that peace you give me is priceless. I remember as a, as, a, as a new believer, Richard was up here, and Richard actually discipled me when I first got saved. And I can remember Richard telling me as a teenager that I never got, he would tell me, peace in the home is priceless. And as a teen, I didn't care. Now that I'm married with, with kids, I realize what he's saying. Peace is priceless. When you can lay down at night and you just know that you're in the Lord's hands, God's taking care of you, what a blessing it is. I think about what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As you mentioned, rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That, that beautiful idea of the peace that we can have on this earth. And this is what we're reading here. In Ecclesiastes, you're reading about a man who doesn't have peace. He doesn't. Boy, amen to be able to have that peace that the Lord gives. That's a blessing that you can't put a price tag on. Anybody else have anything? Cindy. Right. Yeah. And that's... Yeah. They don't have the Lord, and to be honest, sometimes they don't care. And that's what we got to remember, that sometimes they don't care, and they're living for the here and now. And if you would go back and ask Solomon before he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, what do you think of your life? He would say, my life is great. I, I think it was Greg Laurie that said this one time. He says, be careful how you present the gospel. He goes, if you go up to somebody and says, hey, listen, I know you're missing out. I know your life is miserable. I know you're depressed and discouraged, and I want to tell you about what Jesus Christ can do to bring you peace and joy. He goes, some people don't hear that because they stop and say, "Mm, yeah, my life's not depressing. My life is not discouraged right now. My life is really good. So this peace and joy you're offering me in Jesus Christ, I don't really need because everything is so good right now. So the real gospel message is that, hey, you may have it all right now, but there's this sin problem that hasn't been dealt with. And so the gospel is Jesus saves us from sin. I think sometimes we've got to be careful because sometimes we do present the gospel as this little chocolate cupcake gospel. Let me tell you about Jesus. So just make your life wonderful. 
He will make you wonderful. But the reason he makes my life wonderful is because I was on a path to hell. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins that now gives me a path to heaven. The side effects of that salvation are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So when you're presenting the gospel, remember the gospel is the good news that Jesus died for us. Now, it's not wrong to present the gospel to somebody who's discouraged, saying, let me tell you where you can have peace and joy. But it ultimately comes through our sins being taken care of through what Christ did on the cross. Marv. falls on the just and the unjust. The rain. It rains on the just and the unjust. Right. I don't know if the Bible says that. I think it says that it rains. You got the right weather. It's, we're talking about weather. Or we just, it's, it's sleet, it sleets on the just and the unjust. And uh, I, You know, I think it's it rain. It's both? Okay. Now everybody's looking in their Bible. There's your homework for the night. Um, hey, real quick, Matthew six nineteen and 20 is what I was talking about there with Megan. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and once again, you've got to remember, sometimes people are happy with having a lot of toys down here. They're not, their eyes aren't open to the gospel message yet. Uh, like I said, if you'd go to Solomon at certain times in his life, I, I don't think he would say he's missing out on anything. We had everything he could ever dream of. And for a while there, it was a little bit of fun. But the problem is that fun runs out, and we have to deal with eternity. We have to deal with that right there. Yeah, John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and what it is there, we, we have to remember, it, it's what we're, we're looking for. It, it's, it's what is the eternal goal. If you're going from a temporary standpoint and you're looking at this earth, yes, there are certain people that sure look like they have it better. But Psalm 73 then, John was saying. But if we're looking from the eternal standpoint, the score has changed. I mean, I got a missionary friend that he, he did a little catchphrase that I loved. He goes, we need to change the scoreboard. He goes, because what we think wins at the end is not the score we're looking for. What, what happens most at the end is to hear Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And when that mindset happens and you start seeing that, then all of a sudden you realize, okay, Lord, I've been storing up for eternity. Storing up for eternity, not for what's going on down here in this world. Yeah, Megan. I mean, they get they get caught. No, like the government, whatever says it's okay. It's okay. Right. Well, I think we got to. Rem- sorry. 
no, I don't think it's wrong in any way whatsoever. That's biblical. First uh, Peter says that uh, the Lord judges, not us. And we've got to be careful that we don't make it our goal in life to point out every fault and wrong that happens. And we just have to sometimes step back and say, okay, Lord, uh, this is beyond me, and let the Lord do all the judging when it comes to that. I, if I follow what you're saying, I guess, what's that? So it, the, the Lord's going to separate that. I don't need to worry about that in any way whatsoever. Now, what I tell my boys is this. I have one of my boys that is the proverbial tattletale. I mean, he just is. And when he comes in, it's like, okay, they're doing this. It's like, so I've told him this. Listen, are they doing anything unbiblical? Are they profaning the name of Jesus? No? Okay, then I don't need to know about it, okay? So I try to keep it, let's, let's get an internal mindset here that sometimes there's going to be co-workers, friends, family members that are going to constantly push the limits. They're going to constantly get away with stuff. And we have to realize that I only have so much time and energy in my day. And I can only speak for me, so I can't speak for you. I only have so much time and energy in my day. And so since I only have so much time and energy in my day, if I'm constantly worrying about what everybody else is doing and what they're getting away with, that's less time and energy I have to hopefully impact eternity, be in prayer, love my wife, love my kids, enjoy what God has given me. And so therefore, I have to stop sometimes and say, you know what, Lord, they're wrong. Uh, you're going to have to take care of that because you know they're wrong. And I think about what it says in Peter, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. God will separate at the end time the good from the bad, the just from the unjust, the saved from the not saved. That doesn't mean that I don't point out sin if God brings it to my attention. It doesn't mean that as a pastor, as a teacher, as a brother or sister in the Lord, we don't step up and say, listen, that's wrong. But a lot of times we just got to step back and let things go. Got to let things go. What's a second. Real quick before I get Matthew 5, 45. It says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So, Marv, I was right. It says both sun and rain. And I just want to publicly correct you on that. And, Dustin, we need to change the recording when we get done here with the, uh, with the church service. Good golly. How did you change my Bible, Marv? Just like that. All right, it's after 8 o'clock. Um, we didn't get into chapter 9, so we'll get into chapter 9 next week. Good, good discussion here tonight. Hey, would you guys all stand with me so we can pray? Heavenly Father, we just come to you. Um, help us to think about eternity. And Lord, let that be something that drives us to let go of the here and now, to live for you here. And I, I think of that verse where you said, occupy till I come. We're here. We're planted here. But for Lord, we really want to keep our focus on you in eternity to live for that. Help us to walk that walk, to truly talk that talk, and to really be thankful for your love, your grace, your mercy. And I think of Saturday, uh, just the group going to the, um, uh, the prison outreach there. In the name of Jesus, your hand be upon them that they may impact eternity. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Hey, you guys have a good week. God bless. If you got anything you want to pray about, pop on up here. If not, we'll see you guys next week.